Bibles, let's go back to Luke chapter 1 this morning. Luke chapter 1. We're going to be looking together at verses 39 through 45 this morning. Have you ever been given a task that you felt was simply too great for you to bear? Maybe you felt like that with work before, or maybe you feel like that with the Christmas season. There's just so much to do, and you're feeling a little overwhelmed. Have you ever felt like the Lord has led you into a situation, allowed circumstances to come into your life that was simply more than you could handle? And perhaps you wonder, God, why have you given me so much? Where might you be struggling this morning or overwhelmed by God's will for your life? Perhaps you're struggling to see his goodness in physical challenge that he's allowed. Why this illness? Why so long? Why is the care of your loved one so challenging? The spiritual needs being revealed in your heart through this trial can be discouraging or overwhelming. Maybe you're overwhelmed as a parent. The truly spiritual task of discipling and shepherding the hearts of your children in the midst of the busyness of life often seems so daunting. We often feel so unprepared or ill-equipped. Maybe you've seen your children leave home in recent years and you're overcome with worry for them, for the decisions they'll make or are making. Perhaps the Lord's allowed you to face challenging conflict in a relationship painful conflict why has he put this onto your plate couldn't someone else deal with this issue in this life we all face challenges and we often feel overwhelmed or we feel ill-equipped to face these kind of hardships and the question comes how will our God strengthen and encourage us when we're discouraged or simply overwhelmed by all that he's allowed? Where does hope come from? Where does help come from? Well, our God, again and again, as we see through the witness of scriptures, again and again in the lives of his people, he offers you his grace. He will demonstrate his care for you as he does here in Mary and Elizabeth's lives. Certainly both of these women in this story in the opening chapters of Luke are facing things that are overwhelming. They've been given incredible, unbelievable news. They've seen and heard from an angel. Imagine just how shocking that would have been. It's even hard to comprehend for us. What what would those interactions have been like? We're told that Mary pondered all the things the angel told her in her heart. That meant she examined them. She put them to her mind. She took account of them. Surely she had to grapple with the reality of all that is happening in her life. How can this be true? This doesn't even make sense biologically. How would God fulfill his promises? And how could she be worthy of this overwhelmingly massive responsibility. Let's see how God will encourage us 
through the work in their lives as we look at our text. I want us to back up and we'll read again from verses 26. Our text begins in verse 39. But let's read the story um, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is the word of our God. Let's ask for his help as we consider the text together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the examples of your sovereign, gracious working in the lives of your people. Lord, this is given to us as a means of our instruction and our encouragement that we might have hope. That our confidence would be placed in our God again. Lord, we need our hearts to be turned to you. Win us to yourself. Encourage us in our worship. Help us to know the God that's revealed here in this word. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage is often overlooked in the birth narrative of Jesus. It seems like these verses contain only a few narrative tidbits to help flavor the story. But there is so much more for us here in this passage. It's filled with truth and encouragement as we see again how God graciously works in the lives of his servants. In, this verse, in these verses, we're to learn from the examples of these two women and even this infant in the womb. 
as they respond to the entrance of the Savior into this world. Our text will teach us that God graciously encourages his servants as they trust him to fulfill his word. Now, our passage immediately follows the announcement of the angel Gabriel to Mary that she is pregnant through the work of the Holy Spirit. She's now carrying the Messiah in her womb. But at this point in the story, the baby Jesus is probably only about the size of a grain of rice. It's probably only been a few days before she makes this journey. She's not showing yet. Picture the scene in your mind. We have a 13 or 14 year old girl, a young woman of faith, who's just been told some truly unbelievable news. Nothing miraculous has occurred in Israel in over 400 years. It seems as though God has been silent. Perhaps God's people are wondering, have you stopped paying attention? There's no more prophets declaring the word of the Lord. And then all of a sudden, bursting onto the scene, is this angel telling Mary, this teenage girl, that she's pregnant. Mary asks how this can be. She's not married. She's never been with a man. And the angel answers and gives her this sign that her aged cousin Elizabeth is pregnant as well. And I want us to just stop and think about God's kindness in this. The fact the angel gives her this information demonstrates God's care for his people as they seek to follow his will. This could have gone without being mentioned. And the birth of Jesus would have still taken place. God is encouraging Mary as she seeks to follow his will. God provides grace upon grace to his people to accomplish his will. He supports us. He provides us what we need. He encourages us. This is the character of our God revealed in this story. This morning, we'll consider the passage together by considering three specific ways the text tells us that God encourages his people. First, God blesses his people through the fellowship of faith. In the days immediately surrounding the events of the angel's announcement, she hurries to the town in Judah where her cousin Elizabeth lives. The journey that she takes is about 70 to 80 miles. This would be a three or four day journey. Now, we have no idea if she made this journey unaccompanied, but it seems very likely she would not have been alone. We're not told. She comes to the house of her cousin Elizabeth, whose husband is Zachariah the priest. We met earlier in chapter 1. Now, perhaps right away you're asking, why does Mary go in haste? Why does Luke include that detail? The angel's words to her must have been buzzing in her ears. And what we see even in this is she's responding to what God has revealed to her. Again, verse 36, Gabriel said, Your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. This is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. That's the truth being illustrated by this sign. This is God's grace, his gracious sign to encourage her faith. She quickly hurries to see her cousin. One commentator writes, she had been chosen for a gigantic, unprecedented, unrepeatable task. 
How was her mortal nature to be able to understand the psychological strain, the spiritual strain of the next long nine months? How does God become man, a baby, inside of her? How can this be? What is God's provision for Mary in this moment? Fellowship. True, Christ-centered fellowship. Mary's encouraged to believe God's word by being told of what he is doing in the life of her elderly cousin. She will spend three months with Elizabeth. God intends for our faith to grow in the company of fellow believers. Do you see that? Consider the kindness of God in this. Neither woman had to bear this alone at this point. God's providing a godly relative to share with her in the joy of his blessing and promise. You can imagine just how excited and animated their their conversations must have been over those three months. And yet the text demonstrates that their focus is on the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is, who her baby would be. Their encouragement comes through their shared love of God's amazing work in and through them. This again defines for us what Christian fellowship is to be. It's sharing together in the work that God is doing in our lives. J.C. Ryle writes, Communion with fellow travelers on the way to heaven is the nearest approach we can have on earth of the joy of heaven. So do you see how God intends for you to be encouraged even when you're overwhelmed? We're given hope and encouragement as we walk side by side, as we share together through the ups and downs of life. God never intended us to walk through life alone. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 tell us we're to gather, to stir each other up to love and good works. We have responsibility not just to come together to worship, but to encourage, to move outside of ourselves and focus on the needs and the joys of our fellow believers. This kind of fellowship isn't just limited then to the gathering of the body, but we're to do this throughout the week. As God works in your life, it's not only meant to be an encouragement for you, but for your fellow believers as well. God means for us together as a family to be built up through the regular sharing of joys and trials with one another. Do you think of your church family like that? Or is this just a place to come to attend an event each week that's on your calendar? God intends for us to see this as a body through whom we share our joys and our sorrows. He's provided you the resource of his people if you will only invest your lives in your brothers and sisters in Christ. This will take time, And it will take humility, both to share and be open and be willing to be cared for. But it is the means of his encouragement for you. Second, God blesses his people through the confirmation of his promises. We're told that Mary and Elizabeth share a customary greeting. While they're exchanging this greeting, the baby leaps within Mary's or Elizabeth's womb. Elizabeth right away recognizes this as the work of God's spirit. Verse 44 says, Behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. 
Remember, we read last week, we were told in verse 15, this baby would be great. He would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. So again, picture Mary arriving at this house, Elizabeth's house. Her husband, Zachariah, is now mute because of his unbelief. Elizabeth is a woman advanced in years, perhaps somewhere between 50 or 60 or even older. She'd been shamed for her lack of children. That's almost what she was known by. But she's now six months pregnant. And imagine Mary walking into the house and seeing her with child. And immediately knowing that God was confirming his word to her. This was the sign. God is caring for her. Now, should we make such a big deal about a baby's movement in the womb? Isn't that just a normal occurrence? Why is there an emphasis put on John leaping in her womb? Well, Luke intends for us to see this as a supernatural response. The word translated as leaped is a word used to describe an exceedingly joyful response. It's not just saying the baby kicked or moved like babies do at that stage. He leaped with joy. This word is used to describe the mountains in the Old Testament as they respond in praise to God. John's leaping is also accompanied by Elizabeth being filled with the Holy Spirit and joyfully proclaiming this hymn of praise. She responds loudly. That's the idea here. She proclaims. This is considered even a hymn, a song of praise. And she interprets this baby's leap as a leap for joy. How could she know this? Unless the Spirit of God reveals it to her. Luke intends to convince us that the Holy Spirit is revealing the truth about the baby that Mary is carrying. And this is good news. This gospel produces great joy. We should see and we should recognize that throughout this first chapter of Luke, joy is significant. It's given an emphasis. It's mentioned here reminds us of the joy that would come from the birth and role of Elizabeth's son. And he's fulfilling that role already from the womb. He's preaching and pointing at the Messiah. It anticipates Mary's song, where in verse 47, she speaks of her own great joy because of what God has done and is doing. Her child will change everything. He will bring eternal joy through the salvation God offers in him. So let's think carefully. Though she's facing incredible circumstances of her own, where does Elizabeth find joy in this text? Is it in the work that God's doing just for her? She's recognizing something bigger. Her joy is found in the revelation of her Messiah, in a God who fulfills his promises. She's not fixated on her own circumstances. She's finding her joy in her God. Where are you looking for joy in this Christmas season? Sometimes it's not a very joyful thing at all. We expect it to be very fulfilling and it rarely meets our expectations. We expect to have wonderful conversations with relatives and sometimes those don't go so well. Where are you seeking to find joy? Only an all-sufficient God can provide joy like this. Can I encourage you to turn your eyes to who Elizabeth looked at? To who she 
pointed her attention to? When your focus is on your circumstances, it is impossible to experience this kind of joy, isn't it? As we celebrate this season, commit your heart to praise for who Christ is. Fight in your heart to see him exalted. See what he's accomplished for you and praise him. The gospel produces joy even in the midst of the most overwhelming of circumstances. Can you see God's omnipotent initiative and kindness through the confirmation that Elizabeth provides? Through the work that God does even through this baby, this person that's six months old within her is responding individually, personally to the Messiah. The leaping infant and the filling of the Holy Spirit demonstrate so clearly that God is at work. This is him. It could only be him. Remember, Luke wants to encourage the faith of the Roman official Theophilus. He wants him to clearly understand these events are carefully, perfectly orchestrated by God. Not one detail is beyond his control. Every member of this little family, we're told, is filled with the Holy Spirit to point at Jesus in praise. Think of it. John is filled with the Spirit in the womb, according to verse 15. Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit when she hears Mary's greeting in verse 41. And Zechariah is filled with the Spirit in verse 67 as he sings a song of praise for the arrival of the Messiah. Everyone in the text, even the Spirit of God, is doing the job he does and points at Jesus, the Redeemer, and leading faithful followers to rejoice in God's salvation. So where will you look this Christmas season? On what are you placing your focus? Perhaps even in the midst of overwhelming circumstances. I want you also to see the humility of Elizabeth. In verse 43, she declares with much grace, and why is this granted to me? That the mother of my Lord should come to me. This reference to Mary as the mother of my Lord is highly significant. It's a demonstration of great faith. It is revealed to her by the Holy Spirit. The name in the Greek is the rendering of the Hebrew name Yahweh. And she is clearly referring to Jesus. It's the same phrase David uses in Psalm 110.1 as God speaks to his son. The Lord will say to my Lord. So think, she believes that this tiny little infant who's no more than a few days old at most is the son of God. Her response demonstrates both great joy and humility. She's not focused on her own great news, but is instead in awe of her opportunity to be one of the first to recognize the significance of this birth of this child. This privilege of receiving God's word causes her to respond in humility. Is that how you respond to God's revelation? She asks, how am I worthy to be a part of these events? Why would God choose me to receive this grace? Why would God reveal his will to me? And isn't this such a wonderful example of what we see in Philippians 2? 
Elizabeth is counting Mary as more significant than herself. She could have spent a great deal of time talking all about what has happened to her, what God has done for her. He was doing amazing things in her life. Even though she's the older woman and the cultural expectation was that she would be honored. In humility, she turns her attention away from herself and onto the work that God is doing through Mary. She's not envious that Mary's child would be the greater. She expresses no jealousy that this teenage girl was chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. Instead, she's in awe of God's work. Now, did you see that little pronoun in front of the word Lord there in verse 43? This may be the most precious part of this text. She called this tiny fetus that she can't see any evidence of yet. She calls him my Lord. This gospel news is personal to her. In his grace, God's spirit gave her the eyes to see beyond this temporal plane. How kind of God. This tiny baby, again, of whom there's no visible evidence, had entered into this world as her savior and she believed. I can only think of Jesus' words to Peter after his confession that Jesus was the Christ and apply them to Elizabeth. Blessed are you, Elizabeth, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Our Lord graciously confirms and encourages Mary through the humble response of Elizabeth. Do you see what he's doing? Do you see his mighty hand even in her words? How might the Lord use your humble and gracious responses to others over the next several weeks? Ask for his grace to demonstrate humility like this to your family and your friends and your neighbors. God's grace to us in Christ is able to produce humility and joy in our hearts. But number three, God blesses his people through the fulfillment of his word. Elizabeth's final word of blessing in verse 45 is significant. She says, blessed is she who believed. By God's grace, Mary has placed her trust, her confidence in God's word, in his promises. This brings great blessing and joy, even when the promise is hard to understand. The statement is not the same direct address as it was in verse 42. It's more general. We might say, blessed is the one who believes. That's a fair application. I think it's a right application. Mary is certainly a tremendous example of faith and she receives that commendation. But this blessing is offered to all who will believe what God has declared about his son. Part of this trust, part of growing in faith comes from knowing what God has already done. This is why we study the scriptures to see how God has already worked in the lives of his people. God's encouraging us to trust in what he will do through this text. We're meant to learn to rely on his consistent provision and faithfulness. If you're an unbeliever here this morning, maybe you consider Jesus to be merely another great moral teacher. You're you're fine with him. He did great things. He was a good person but you don't know him as your Lord and Savior. 
Please recognize that God's word to you this morning that you're hearing proclaimed is revealing to you that he has come to save you from your sins. That's the picture at this table. God receives sinners by pouring out his blood, by giving up his body to death, that he might restore you to himself. He is the promised redeemer who will set all things right, most importantly between you and God himself. Why does Elizabeth say that Mary is blessed? Mary is honored as the one whom God has chosen to bring the Messiah, the Redeemer, into the world. Her blessing is not a result of her greater personal worth or spiritual strength. If she could return from heaven and speak to us this morning, she would say, Elizabeth was right. God simply used a humble, ordinary teenage girl. She's blessed because of the person she is carrying by God's sovereign and gracious choice. She's blessed because God will fulfill his words to her. One commentator notes God's promise is what Mary believes will occur and is the ground for her being blessed. It's God's promise. She believes that that promise that she will bear the messianic child The fulfillment of promise to her is the reader's assurance that the rest of God's promises will come to pass. We're supposed to see in this God keeps his word again and again and again and again. He is always faithful. This author saying the conclusion we're to draw is that if God fulfilled his word to Mary in this way, We can trust he will do the same for us in the midst of our challenges and our hardships. We're being encouraged to cling to God's promises and character as she did. This is a model, an example for us. Blessing comes to those who humbly surrender to God's will and obeys his words. Does that describe you? I mean, think of it. God is asking Mary to do something incredible unbelievable, difficult to comprehend. And she says, let it be to me according to your word. Is that your attitude? Is that your heart? I'll go wherever you send. I'll be what you want me to be. I'll speak for you. Young people, last week we saw God's work in the life of an older believer, Zachariah and Elizabeth, But do you see the way that God uses the faith of younger believers as well? Can you believe a 13 or 14-year-old young woman is the mother of the Messiah who demonstrates faith like this? Can I encourage you not to live under the assumption that you can wait a few years before you truly commit yourself to a close walk with the Lord? This is a personal decision that you make, I will follow Christ. Mary didn't wait. And the Lord used her simple, humble faith and obedience in extraordinary ways. She's still encouraging us this morning. God's eager to use servants of any age who will surrender their hearts and lives to him. So how might he desire to use you in your home or in your school or in this church or in your neighborhood? Are you committed to following him right now? Is your faith your own? 
The lesson for us this morning is found in that final phrase of verse 45. There's blessing in believing. Now, why do you think Luke tells us so much about how Mary responded to this miraculous conception? He wants to show Theophilus the proper response of humble, submissive faith to the promises of God through Christ. We're supposed to think of the contrast between Zechariah and Mary. Blessing comes to the one who's believed God and acts. There's great blessing in believing the promises of God, no matter how confusing they are, no matter how far beyond our comprehension. Blessing comes to those who believe God's word about Jesus. He's the source of our blessings. Our conclusion then is that we're to let God's gracious work in the lives of fellow servants, even Mary and Elizabeth and the baby John, encourage us to trust him. You see in this text that the humble submission of God's people to the work of the triune God leads us to joyfully rest in him. Did you identify all three members of the Trinity in these few verses? All three are there. They conspired together to be exalted as God above all who works to accomplish the salvation of sinful man. Aren't you overwhelmed by God's gracious work in the lives of these two rather ordinary Jewish women and infant? God does amazing things. When we allow ourselves to be overwhelmed by his grace, we cease to be overwhelmed by our challenges and hardships. We will need his grace again and again, but our solution is found in careful, habitual meditation on his words and on his works. In this passage, God offers Mary great encouragement for the incredible, overwhelming task he has given to her. She needs a fellow believer who will encourage her in her faith. Elizabeth's gracious and humble response helps Mary and helps us to see God's care for us in every challenge and difficulty. So will you trust him to care for you as well? Not just in word alone, but in deed, in your prayers, in the encouragement you offer to other believers who need to be encouraged. Will you look to him again in humble, submissive faith, asking for his grace to strengthen you? Let's ask for his help to do just that as we close now in prayer. Our gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful text of relationships demonstrating the value of encouragement together in the work of our God. In your kindness, you help our faith you build it, you confirm it, you strengthen us on the way. Lord, you know that we are but dust, that we often go astray, that just like Zachariah, we doubt. I'm sure at points Mary had doubts as well. She was a sinner in need of your grace. And yet, Lord, you record for us this incredible greeting and response. Lord, I pray that we would turn our eyes to Christ again. That we would put our hope in him. That we would seek to be overwhelmed by him. Lord, as we do, you help push away those things 
that we think are so difficult. Lord, they are, and yet you give us enough grace through your Son. Help us to trust you and rest in you and rejoice in you, even through the challenges and difficulties of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.